0: is an odyssey original
1: this is coronavirus daily i'm charles feldman
2: and i'm mike simpson from the knx odyssey studios in los angeles more confusion about masks in california cdc guidelines say you don't need them at school for kids and teachers who are vaccinated california says no you do regardless of the status the state
1: says kids who refuse can't be on campus but then changed quickly and said it is up to local districts on how to handle that. We'll get into the rules and whether they are just an overreaction.
2: How strong is the economy right now as the worst of the pandemic seems to be over? We'll look into what lies ahead.
1: Even though we are still in the pandemic, more and more people are feeling hopeful
2: and optimistic we start though with schools masks and the state of california dr matul Kapatia, medical director uc san francisco pediatric physical medicine and rehabilitation clinic so doctor what are we supposed to believe when the cdc says one thing and then the state says another
3: yeah i mean i I think we know clearly the role of masks in reducing transmission risk and and I think that there are still variations in terms of our understanding our ability to know who is vaccinated or not in the school setting and it's also important in the school setting for for everyone to model. Um, the importance of mask wearing so I think having discrepancies between teachers and kids, for example, can create a lot of challenges um, in in really enforcing that successful masking so I, I agree with the approach that um, the CDPH has taken um, in really making it more universal masking until we have vaccines available for younger children.
2: So then do we get in this discussion of how hard is it really? I mean, nobody likes masks, right? But if it doesn't affect learning, and maybe it's only a few more months, maybe it's into the spring or something, then who's it really hurting?
3: Exactly. I mean, we've been masking for a year and a half now. I think kids have been very receptive. Um, I'm a pediatrician. I see it every day in my clinics, um, in the hospitals, in the communities, and it's been very effective, we know. Um, in reducing that risk. And, and when we have seen outbreaks, even last summer, and even in some small outbreaks in the school settings, they were almost always related to um, times when masks were not being used and when distancing wasn't being enforced at the same time, for example, during mealtime or during outdoor sports or recreational activities, and I think that just reinforces the importance of us for kind of hunker down until we have those vaccines available for for all ages.
1: We've also had, though, Dr., behavioral psychiatrists on the show who have said, yeah, but, you know, uh, kids are at a very impressionistic age and they need to kind of learn facial language and and all the other subtleties that go into communication. And if you're constantly hidden behind a mask, a year, year and a half, maybe by the time this is through two at the age that we're talking about, that might have some very serious long term repercussions.
3: Absolutely. And we're doing some of those studies here at UCSF as well, looking at kind of some of the, especially for the younger children that learn off of those um, facial movements. But I think this far into this pandemic and how close we are to having a vaccine available, um, I think it's really important that we continue our precautions um, to avoid outbreaks that will ultimately re- result in clo- schools closing otherwise.
2: What about those who say, okay, let's, let's kind of meet in the middle. Let's pick this actual mark of transmission, whatever level you want to set it at, that's where you set it. And if you're under that, there's not a lot of community transmission, then don't make them wear them.
3: I think the challenge is still there. When you're talking about community transmission, you're still talking primarily in the adult population, people that have had access to vaccinations. And I think it's really important to realize, especially as a pediatrician, that we still don't have an ability to protect our kids younger than 12 right now with vaccinations. And so the most um, cautious and the safest way to approach this is providing that universal masking in the school setting until we have provided access to those vaccinations for all ages.
2: Do we know what it means for kids playing sports, if you're on the team you're practicing you're out there masks are back for for them
3: you know, that's more that's considered optional currently in, in the CDPH guidelines. My personal belief is that they should be. Um, we've seen outbreaks throughout the country. We've seen outbreaks in California um, related to sports um, when masks are not being used, particularly in the younger age groups where vaccinations are not available. Um, but the guidelines leave that up to the, the local school districts. Um, my personal recommendation and preference, I do a lot of sports um, care and management, is that mass should be part of... Um, a a universal approach towards mitigating risks of transmission in outdoor sports as well.
2: Dr. Matul Kapadia, Medical Director, UC San Francisco Pediatric Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Clinic.
1: The economy is bouncing back from the lows of the pandemic, but it's not totally smooth. Consumer prices are up, even getting a cup of coffee more expensive now.
2: But jobs are coming back. Businesses are hiring KYW's Matt Leon with David Fiorenza, professor at the Villanova School of Business, about what to expect as we move forward.
0: Before the pandemic, companies were focused on efficiencies, economies of scale. They were focused on looking for ways to innovate and maybe to cut costs. But now that the pandemic Hit, and it's, we're starting to get over the hump of that, companies are going to look even more towards that, and that could be mean, meaning things like working from home. That will mean things like looking on other technologies besides Zoom. Uh, business travelers are going to look much different. Uh, sales is going to look much different. So I even think some of your fast food restaurants and even retail is going to look much different. It's going to be more self-service, more kiosks. Uh, all those kinds of things are going to be coming into the economy uh, through the next year or so
4: you mentioned work from home and that is something i don't know what the percentage would be but there's even once we are fully free and clear of the pandemic there's going to be a relatively large segment of the population that's going to be working from home if not full-time a lot more than they were pre-covid and that's just got ripple effects all over the place we'll be feeling with regards to office space commercial real estate uh, taxes. I mean, it's, it's gonna change things. It
0: is. You've hit the nail on the head with this one. Because when I travel around, one of the first things I do is I go to all the SEPTA parking lots to see how filled they are. Uh, During the middle of the week, they are, but come Mondays and Fridays are not as filled. Now, some of that could be people taking long weekends uh, for vacations, but it could also mean people are working uh, more at home. And I didn't think they would be more productive, but by golly, they are. They wake up in the morning, get their coffee at 7 o'clock. You don't have to get ready. And they're already hitting... The pavement, if you will, or hitting the computer, we'll say it that way. And this is going to have a big effect on commercial real estate in large cities, in Philadelphia, even in areas like the King of Prussia Upper Marion area where there's a lot of office space. Great Valley along that Route 202 corridor, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And it's also going to stifle areas like Camden that was really on the rebound with commercial space. Some companies moved in and now they're saying we don't need as much space as we used to.
4: We're in a situation, as we're talking here, we are having a lot of people quit their jobs. There's like a a kind of a reimagining what people want out of life after a traumatic event like the pandemic. I don't think it's something a lot of people anticipated, but when you reverse engineer it, it makes a lot of sense. And... It's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out and what sectors benefit. We could see we're seeing a lot of people, uh, if not go back to school, focus on a trade. We're we're kind of seeing a lot of things readjust.
0: You are Matt. You you're right about that. And not just for the older people over fifty five, but even younger people are thinking about: Do I go back to school? Do I learn a trade? Uh, do I go into the gig economy? If somebody's healthy, they're thinking: Maybe I don't need as much healthcare insurance as I thought I did through a through a Fortune 500 company. And they're saying, well, maybe I'll just work part-time and I'll enjoy life. I'll enjoy the grandchildren. I'll enjoy my spouse, whatever. I'll watch the children grow up. They're thinking a lot more along those lines. And that does affect the overall economy. As you said earlier, taxes is one thing that will be affected. I think it's making... Uh, the different townships and cities and counties throughout the tri-state area think a little bit more about how much services can we provide at the current tax rate.
4: And something else that we're seeing happening as a result of all these people changing directions in their careers, we're seeing a lot of places that have a worker shortage. And we are seeing a lot of places we've talked ad nauseum on our weekly chats about the minimum wage we're kind of we have kind of seen a grassroots lifting of the minimum wage as opposed to legislation because people they can't find people to work and yes with no legislation there's always the possibility that the wages will go down once the workforce kind of resettles but that would be hard to hard to do it's hard to claw back a benefit uh even at a company situation so we are seeing some wages significantly rise really for the first time in a while you are. It's
0: all based on supply and demand, as we have spoke about that in our prior uh, podcasts. And the thing about the supply and demand is it's very hard, like you said, to bring those wages back down, especially if you're if you're in a contractual obligation with unions or not even unions, semi-unions, if you will. Uh, if you're paying someone $15 an hour and then all of a sudden we're back to 100 percent normal, whatever that means. Next year, it's hard to say, well, I think I'll only pay 14. (laughs) People say, wait a minute, I'm already making 15. It's hard for me to go back down. The only time you see the wages really depress and contract is during times of recession when a company says we either have to lay off 10% of our workforce or everybody takes a job cut or everybody takes, um, I mean, a pay cut, excuse me, where everyone takes maybe more of a a stance where there's no wage increases. So We're going to be in a difficult situation, not this year, but I think by next summer that companies are are going to think about we better keep these wages if we want to keep these people because people will jump from one job to another when they're at 15 an hour and someone else is paying 16
4: an hour. One of the interesting things, supply chains, I think, are something that very few people thought about in the before times before the pandemic. But we have seen time and time again how they've been disrupted through this pandemic for one reason or another. Now, a lot of I forget what the term is. It's something like just in time. But a lot of these supply chains are designed to just get the goods in time. So they're shipped out, make it as efficient as possible so they don't sit around. You don't have to warehouse some stuff like that. Are we going to have a reimagining overall of supply chains? Or do you think as we get further away from the pandemic, it will we'll get back to our old thinking and, and it'll be like it was a couple of years ago?
0: Well, we will get back to our old thinking, but it won't be this year. and It probably won't even be next year. Uh, the, the store shelves that I go into to observe, I see a lot of empty shelves. And it's not because of panic buying. It's because they cannot get the goods there quick enough for whatever reason. It could be a hurricane. It could be a shortage of workers. It could be a number of things. It could be the fact that last year we were making items for PPE and taking all of our manufacturing offline for all the things that we that we wanted to buy. And we're also buying from other countries still. So if those other countries still have some shutdowns, some lockdowns. They're not at a hundred percent. We're at their mercy, if you will, for those goods to be, to be made, to be purchased by us over here in the United States.
4: Do you think we will see with regards to supply chains, uh, given what everybody company wise has experienced the last couple of years, uh, folks try to make it a, a little more compact within the U.S. rather than have a lot of and maybe have more stuff warehouse? Do you think there will be kind of redundancies put in place there to minimize the disruptions or no? Well, companies
0: will do that. The one thing about the United States, we're consumers and it's hard to get us off the mindset and try to become minimalists and just say, what do I need As Europeans would say, what do I need to buy for tonight for my dinner as I'm walking out of my office? I go to the market. We are shoppers. We shop for the week. We shop for the month. We shop for getting ready for Labor Day, getting ready for school to open up, getting ready. Even Christmas, they'll start talking about that in August or September. So it's very hard to get off that mindset of of thinking about how much do we need? How much can we survive on? So I do think companies are going to look at the past year. uh, They are going to really prepare for any other disasters and pandemics. Most companies I talk to or have a team of people They're getting ready for the next whatever that is. It doesn't mean we're going to have another pandemic or another event like this, but they want to be prepared just the way our counties are prepared when we have hurricanes or any other kind of things down at the shore. Let's say uh, Hurricane Floyd, things of that nature, tornadoes. You want to be prepared.
4: It's interesting. I think one thing that has done a Maybe not a complete 180, but has become much more mainstream than it was a year and a half, two years ago. The idea of the government sending people money. We had three separate stimulus packages where people got varying amounts, you know, from six hundred to fifty four hundred dollars. As we're talking, we're about a week away from an expanded child tax credit kicking in where families with with children under 17 are going to get monthly payments just deposited. Not something you have to sign up for. That is in theory permanent. I come back to the idea that once people get used to a benefit it's incredibly difficult to claw it back, so I would be surprised if this doesn't become permanent to some kind is kind of government payment is it here to stay? I mean we're not maybe not going to get the big stimulus packages, but between this tax credit and and building off of that, do you think this is something that's here for the for the duration?
0: I think some of these are here for the duration. I think the, the, the large stimulus package that you and I spoke about earlier this year are probably gone, but I think things are, as much as they add debt, they're more manageable. $300 per child is more manageable than you and I getting $2,400 every six months or every year. Uh, with that being said, there's going to have to be some kind of occurrence when it comes to the tax codes. Uh hopefully it's not you and I who are paying more. Uh, uh, there has to be something. Something has to give at some point with that. I do know that consumers that I talk to, numbers I look at, they're more cautious than they were before the pandemic. mean, they're starting to pay down more debt, maybe trying to put extra pay on their mortgages, car payments, um, maybe even saving for for college, anything else that they can. Because Sometimes disasters like this, a pandemic, makes us think about uh, our livelihood and what's important to us. And so when you do receive money, you do either a couple things. You either pay down debt, you either spend it or you save it.
4: And do you think the idea of the government sending people money, which for a lot of the population a year and a half ago would have been anathema, has become much more mainstream where maybe people don't like it, don't approve it, worry about the debt, but you don't get the screeching you would have gotten two years ago
0: right yeah uh with with the unemployment rate very low two years ago at three point nine percent uh we we were at full employment that's much different than where we are now I mean, it's not high it's only about six percent or so which which is still fairly low uh and it's not to take anything away from anybody who's looking for a job they're still looking people are still looking, but it does become more mainstream it becomes more of it's almost like if we fill out our tax returns by April 15th and receive a refund six weeks later, it becomes almost commonplace when you start doing that and sending money to people. I'm not sure if the Treasury Department or I should say the, and even the Federal Reserve is all in favor of these kinds of things because there has been some rumblings of a fourth stimulus. But that that's probably just to, was there just to push the child tax credit through. So they use one to leverage something else. in in government
4: and it's interesting through all this the early days of the pandemic the stock market we saw some crazy dives and recoveries i remember a couple days where things fell so fast they actually had to stop trading uh but for the most part the stock market just keeps on cooking what does that tell us about the american economy through even a, a giant disruption like this
0: well, most people will say that it's, it's all Wall Street, it's all big money, it's all people who are, who are well-to-do and wealthy who will benefit. They do, but if you and I and others have any kind of 401k, any kind of retirement plans, uh, some of that money is not always invested just in money markets or, or CDs. We are playing the market through mutual fund companies, the large mutual fund companies like Vanguard, Fidelity, and all the other ones that are out there. So we benefit – Uh, There is some trickle down effect. We do benefit. I'm looking at my retirement accounts for the past five years. We have benefited. Some people are looking at it saying, oh, I can retire at age 68 instead of age 70 now. So there's some of that method of thinking or they're saying maybe I don't have to work. As much I can go on Medicare. People are are looking at that. And that's another thing we bring up. Uh, There's been talk of lowering the age of Medicare to 62 instead of 65, which is raising a lot of eyebrows on both sides. Some are saying it's expensive. Some are saying, oh,
1: good, I'll be able to be covered. Coming up, people are feeling pretty good about things right about now. But why? We don't need to review how rough this pandemic has been for everyone. The death, sickness, job loss isolation, daily struggle. It's pretty gloomy.
2: Despite all that, new Gallup poll shows Americans are feeling more optimistic now than they have in 13 years. 60 percent. They are thriving, they say. With us is Mohammed Yunus, Gallup's editor in chief. Mohammed, why are we so optimistic?
5: Well, a couple of things. First of all, as you mentioned, life evaluation hit a record high. Um, We don't ask Americans if they're thriving, but we ask Americans as we ask uh, citizens all over the world to evaluate their lives on a scale from zero to 10, thinking about what their life score would be today and what they expect it to be in five years. So if you answer a seven or higher for your life today and an eight or higher for where you think you'll be in five years, you fall into that thriving category. So right now, 59.2% of Americans um, answered basically well enough to fall into that category. Um, It's a real, real jump from the height of the lockdown and the pandemic as we experience it here in the US, at least where that 59% dropped all the way down to 48%. Um, The lowest that we've had actually in recent history uh, was right after the uh, economic meltdown 2008. So when the Dow hit its lowest level in that financial crisis, that 59% today dropped all the way down to 46%. So in terms of life evaluation, things are looking great in terms of how people feel about their own personal life how they feel about public life <laughs> is a separate issue um, yeah, I, but I'm, in terms of
2: go ahead i'm just wondering you know this can all maybe turn on a, a dime too right it, it's a lot better exactly. life now than it was we all had a real rough time no matter who you are i think over the last year so you can look at today and say you know what compared to then uh, I'm feeling a lot better. But also we have things like short memories and then we're very moment to moment. So if we get into, I don't know, uh, worse pandemic times or election season again, and then it all just kind of rolls down the hill.
5: Yeah, I mean, life can happen and will happen at any moment. Um, that's really what the story of that trend has been uh, over uh, U.S. history. The few things that we know that tend to correlate, though, with higher life evaluations um, make sense that the number will be so high. The, the One of the strongest correlates really is the economy, not necessarily the stock market, but how people feel their own optimism about the economy. Obviously, today, there's a lot of concern about inflation. We have a great piece on those concerns uh, up on our page today. But the economy is doing great. The rollout got, of the vaccine got pretty high marks um, across the board and also spending more social time with our friends, family, and coworkers. Uh, previous research has shown that negative emotions that we have gonna gallop, things like worry and stress, you experience about a fifth of what somebody who has no social time experiences on any given day. So being out more, uh, not only for playtime, if you will, but also for work. Um, And just collaborating with others in person, we know has a huge impact on how people at least um, report their negative emotions. And those have gone down.
1: So obviously, as you know, the the way questions are framed uh, get certain kinds of answers. How exactly was the question framed?
5: In terms of the negative emotions? So We asked the question uh, for a series of positive and negative emotions. And it's simply asking, did you experience a lot of X? the day yesterday or the day before the survey. So we ask about worry and stress. Right now, 44% of Americans say that they experienced a lot of stress the day before they were interviewed. Um, at the height of the lockdown, that reached up to 60% of Americans experiencing stress. And the worry numbers are right, right there behind them. So the high was about 60 um, in the spring of 2020. And now um, in terms of worry, that's down to 38 percent of people say I experienced a lot of worry yesterday.
2: For for those on the low end, you know, who are, you know, logging threes and fours or whatever. um, Did everybody take a rise or if you were having a real tough time consistently, did you not go up? You know what I mean?
5: Absolutely. I mean, what's really important to stress here is these are national numbers. So even in terms of how the pandemic is being experienced today, right now. Um, is a very local thing. We see spikes coming up in you know, specific locations and other very nearby geographic locations. The economy's up and running and things are back to normal. So these are national numbers. Um, people's own personal lives, of course, are seriously, um, have been impacted and continue to be impacted. And where respondents express that they are feeling those impacts, a loss of a loved one, um, a loss of a, a job opportunity. We do absolutely see that reflected in terms of life evaluation. One thing that is different though with this crisis um, than the previous one, at least when you compare it to 2008, that other low point, is people's expectations of their life in the next five years held on pretty steady throughout the darkest times of the pandemic. Whereas when you look back at 2008, there was really no light at the end of the tunnel and people's assessment of their own life tanked, but also their hope for the future really tanked in a way we didn't see during the pandemic probably because of the nature of the crisis itself. But that sort of resilience factor um, was a really different um, uh, phenomenon this time than the last time we saw a low like this.
2: You know what I like about eye. this is that you said what, 7 to 10 equals the uh, the thriving category, which I think maybe for some, like, if I'm a 10 out of 10, which is hard to reach, but if, no, if you yeah. say I'm a 7, like, hey, that's not bad. You are thriving out there. Person in your car, congratulations. <laughs> if you're not in traffic. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> Which is always the case. Someone here. heard the report
2: before. Yeah, it's always the case. Exactly.
5: <laughs> always the LA case. kid over here, man.
1: Uh, so you know.
2: All right. Uh, Mohammed Yunus Gallup's editor-in-chief, host of the Gallup podcast. Mohammed, thanks.
1: Your breath could indicate if you have COVID. Scientists are experimenting with breath tests. Musicians at the recent Eurovision Song Contest in the Netherlands had to take a breath test before performing. They were asked to uh, exhale into a water bottle sized device, which then analyzed the chemical compounds in their breath to detect signatures of a coronavirus infection. It's just one of many breath-based COVID-19 tests under development across the world. Scientists say advances in sensor technology and machine learning mean that the moment for disease-detecting breathalyzers may have
2: finally arrived. This is an Odyssey Original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.